We are in Psalms chapter 19 this morning, and if you want to hold your place in Romans chapter 1, we'll go there for a little bit, and then we'll come back to Psalms chapter 19. While you're turning there, let me say this, if you noticed in our worship guide this morning, the, I got a letter this past week from the Southern Baptist, uh, the Alabama Southern Baptist Convention saying that um, Piedmont First Baptist in the year 2016 gave over $96,000 to missions, uh, 70000 of that, which was to the cooperative program. If you count what we give locally to the Benevolent Center, um, we gave over $100,000 to missions locally and internationally. Uh, there's, a, there's a controversy in our convention right now. Some of our larger churches are withholding some of their uh, cooperative program money and some, uh, uh, some up to a million dollars from their churches that they're withholding because um, our, our Office of Ethics and Religious Liberty got way involved in the presidential election this past time and um, were very critical of a, of a particular candidate and some of our churches are withholding some of their money. You pray that uh, they work that out because we need that money. But you pray also, and this is my opinion, this is the pastor's opinion, you pray also that we worry more about our neighbors and winning people to the Lord than we do electing presidents. We've spent the past, yes, we've spent the past couple of generations in our, in our denomination being a little bit overly, uh, I think we should have a voice and I think we should have a presence. But we spend a little bit too much time electing presidents and electing people than we have uh, sharing the gospel. And I pray that we get that right and we get that back. So you pray about those matters in the life of our denomination this morning. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read the first six verses here. Uh, this is David writing uh, that the law of the Lord is perfect. And he begins by saying this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. For in them He has sent a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving His chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It is rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. We live in a beautiful, wonderful creation that we know very little about in reality. The world famous biologist Edward Wilson claims that there may be as many as 1.6 million species of fungi in the world today. 10,000 species of ants, 300,000 species of flowering plants, between four and 5,000 mammals, and approximately 10,000 species of birds. But these large numbers pale in comparison when you start examining the heavens as David did in Psalm chapter 19. Now when we think about this, David knew nothing about calculating distance in light years. He knew nothing of the modern scientific data that you and I have, yet when he pondered the heavens, he was overwhelmed by the glory of our great God, the Creator. 
Now think of the awe that you and I should stand in today. We have manned spaceships that are going to and returning to the moon. From the moon. We have space shuttles, Hubble telescopes, spacecraft that has landed on Mars. Spacecraft now that has been launched uh, decades ago that have now gone past uh, Pluto, which I still believe is a planet. I'm old school, okay? But have gone out of the reaches that we know. But we, we, we realize, and I learned this just in the last month, we only know in our mind, with everything that we have gained and everything that we have learned, we really only know about 5% of the universe. 95% of the universe is still a mystery to us, and, and the universe is continuously expanding. And we stand in awe of that. We know so much more about God's wonderful creation than David did, yet we live in a fallen and sin-stained world that causes us to be distracted from all that God has displayed for us. Yet in Psalm 19, God inspires David to the point that he proclaims the wonders of God. Not only in the world around us, but in the word that he gives us for deeper understanding. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, said this of Psalm 19. He said it is the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. The church lectionary assigns this psalm to be read on Christmas Day when the Son of Righteousness came into the world and the living Word was laid in the manger. The emphasis on this psalm is God's revelation of Himself in creation, in Scripture, and in our human hearts. So the question this morning that we ask as we try to become deep well disciples, as we look at the basic tenets and doctrines of, of Christian life, we ask this question, can I know God? And yes, I can know God. I can know God, first of all, through the revelation of His world. Warren Wiersbe said it like this. He says this of David's words in Psalm 19. The existence of creation implied the existence of a Creator. And the nature of the creation implied He was wise enough to execute His plan and maintain what He had made. So complex a universe demands a Creator who can do anything, who knows everything, and who is present everywhere. But even more, David knew that God was speaking to the inhabitants of the earth by means of His creation. Creation is a wordless book that everybody can read because it needs no translation. Creation is a wordless book that everybody can read because it needs no translation. I know one language, and I haven't mastered it yet. I know English. But whether I know English, and I'm living here in Piedmont, or whether I know an Arabic language, and I live in the Mid-East, or whether I'm in Paris, and I know French, or wherever I am, the world speaks as a wordless book that every inhabitant of the world can read and understand. God's creation speaks to us in such a way that we can all understand it. God speaks through creation day after day, night after night. 
His speech pours out silently, abundantly, and universally. There are great sermons that will be preached from behind pulpits this morning. You could drive about two hours this morning and you could sit under the preaching in Atlanta of Pastor Johnny Hunt or Pastor Charles Stanley. You could be in Dallas, Texas and hear the, the preaching of Jack Graham. You could be somewhere in California hearing MacArthur or, or somewhere. There will be wonderful sermons preached all throughout the world today. But the greatest sermon that is being preached is when we step outside of this facility this morning and we look and we see the sermon that God Almighty is preaching through the work of His world and His creation. No greater sermon. And He preaches it in the day and He preaches it in the night as we sit and we gaze at the stars and we look at the heavens. God is continuously speaking to us through His creation. But um, Philip Brooks was the first person to give instruction about God to Helen Keller. Helen Keller, the famous Alabamian who was born deaf and blind and who could not speak. And as they began to teach her, Philip Brooks gave her instructions about God. Helen Keller replied that she had always known there was a God, but she didn't know what His name was. I know His name this morning. His name is Jesus. I know His name this morning. His name is Jesus. And our task is to tell the world that His name is Jesus. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says this, For there is no other name given under heaven by which a man can be saved. It is our responsibility who know to tell the world about Jesus. Despite this universal message that pours out day and night to the entire world, most people ignore it and reject God because they want to live as they please. Look at Romans chapter 1. Paul's great exposition here about the righteousness of God, but also the wrath of God. Begin with me in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain. You just have to look outside and see it. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. They are without excuse. The creation bears clear witness to its Maker. The evidence is plain to them. You can see it in all of creation. Here Paul enters up on a discussion of what is usually designated as natural revelation. Or special or general revelation. It's a revelation of God that's made known to every person through nature. And it's just generally known that everybody can see it. It's in distinction from special revelation that comes through the Scriptures. Paul says here that God has made it plain and easy for everyone who lives on the earth to understand and know that there is a Creator. And because of this, he says no one is with, he says they are without excuse. No one has an excuse for not knowing God. 
He begins by talking about God's righteousness and God's wrath. I believe that we are in a place in the, in the age that we are living in where, and I, I said this to our group on Sunday night a couple of evenings ago, God has one hand raised that is offering His righteousness. And He has another hand raised that is holding back His wrath. Soon, someday, I believe, He will drop both hands. And His righteousness won't be offered anymore, and His wrath will be revealed to this world. And part of the reason is, is because as you go on reading those verses there, men ignore the obvious revelation of God in everything that they see. We see four characteristics here of His revelation in nature. You may, if you want to write these down. Number one, His revelation in nature, it is a clear testimony set before the eyes of men as the word plain implies. You can't ignore it. Number two, from the use of understood, the revelation does not stop with perception, but is expected to include reflection, the drawing of a conclusion about the Creator. You see, we can look and perceive people, will, people who, who, who don't know Christ, they will look and they will say, there has to be a hand behind this. There has to be a designer behind this. But what God has laid out for them should go more than perception. It should go to reflection and an understanding and a drawing of a conclusion that absolutely, black and white, there is a Creator. Number three, it is a constant testimony maintained since the creation of the world. Paul told the men of Lystra, who were wanting to worship he and Barnabas. They, they, they were healing people, and the people came together and wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. And Paul began to expound to them how they were men just like them, but they knew the Creator. And he said, The Creator has revealed Himself to you through the rains and through the seasons that you see. You have no excuse not to believe. And then fourth, it is a limited testimony in it, that it reflects God in certain aspects only. In the nature that we see, in His creation, in the world that we see, we see His eternal power, and we see His divine nature, but we don't see His redemption there. So the repeated question is this. Many of you have been asked this question and you didn't know how to answer it. Listen to me closely this morning as I, as I tell you how to answer. The question is this, are people lost who have never known, who have never heard about Jesus? Are people lost who have never heard about Jesus? There's two answers to that question. First of all, yes, they are lost. Because God speaks to them all day long and they have no excuse. Paul says here plainly in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 that all of creation speaks to them and they are without excuse for knowing God. So the answer to that question, if you want to remember this, is Romans chapter 1, 18 through 20, and you can answer that question. Yes, they are lost. That's the first answer to the question. But the second answer to that question is 
What are you doing about getting to the message to these people? That's the most important question this morning. And not just around the world. When we think about people groups who have never heard about Jesus, we think about people in, in uh, tribes in Africa or somewhere in the Amazon rainforest in, in, uh, in South America. But let me tell you something. I believe with all my heart you have neighbors this morning who have never heard of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ right here in Piedmont, Alabama. I believe that because we discovered that 70% of the people in Piedmont don't attend church on Sunday morning. And I can tell you that there are children in our elementary schools that unless they went to this preschool, they didn't, they have, there are children among us in our 36272 zip code who have never heard of who Jesus is. Let that sink in for just a minute. There are children in Piedmont who are in the same condition as children in the Amazon rainforest and children in tribes in Africa because they have never heard of who Jesus is. I can give you proof of that because Chris Hansen told me that he, uh, that he had some uh, ball players with him he had taken them to McDonald's after a, after a practice, and Max said, I, I believe Max said something about a prayer, and they mentioned Jesus. And one of those children in our elementary school asked this question Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So our task is not only to support missions. But our task is to be busy here in Piedmont knowing that there are people in our midst who don't know who Je who have never had the opportunity to hear who Jesus is. And it's our responsibility to go and to make sure that they do. Um, natural revelation. God revealing Himself in nature is sufficient to make man responsible, but it is not by itself sufficient to accomplish his salvation. They have to hear the gospel. They have to hear the gospel. So let's get busy sharing the gospel in our own community. And I can know, I can know God through the revelation of His world, and then I can know God through the revelation of His word. The revelation of God in creation is truly and it's truly wonderful, but it is limited when it comes to manifesting the attributes of God and His purpose for His creation. Following the fall of man, creation has been subjected to the grace to the great scars of sin. Look around us today. We see war, we see murder, we see famine, we see so many different scars of sin that are evident in our world. So we need something that reveals more clearly the character of God, and that something is the inspired Word of God. The heavens declare God's glory, but the Scriptures tell us what God did so that we may share in that glory. Listen to that again. The heavens declare God's glory, but the Scriptures tell us what God did so that we may share in that glory. 
God wants us to share in His glory through, for all eternity. He created what we see here for us to enjoy in this life and for it to be a reminder of who He is, the great Creator that He is. But He gave us His Word, He gave us His Scriptures so that we can know without a shadow of a doubt what our purpose is in, in all those things and so that we can share in His glory. There's no conflict between what God does in His universe and what He says in His Word. It was by His Word that He created the worlds, and it is by His Word that He controls the worlds. There are great benefits of knowing His revelation in His creation. They're with us on a daily basis. We see day and night. We see the changing of the seasons. But how much greater are the comprehensive benefits of God's revelation in His Word? Go back to Psalm chapter 19 and read verses 7 and 8 with me. David continues to talk, to talk here and he breaks from talking about the world and begins to talk about God's Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. He gives four benefits here for reading God's Word. First of all, in verse number 7, he says that God's Word revives. God's Word has a restorative quality about it. It gives healing to my whole body because it assures me that I am forgiven and that I'm clean in the sight of God. It gives life to the godly. It unleashes the promises of God by His gracious, redemptive acts. Second of all, God's Word is the source of wisdom. It's the source of wisdom to anybody who will receive it. No matter if you are the most simple or you are the most wise, you can continue to grow in wisdom by knowing to fear the Lord. Proverbs 1 and 7 says that all knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord. God's Word is the source of wisdom. And then third, God's Word gives joy. We look sometimes and think we live in a joyless world. But the heartfelt joy that God's Word gives gives us an inner peace and a tranquility when we love God with all of our heart and our innermost being. If you want to know some joy this afternoon, sit down with your Scripture and go to the book of Philippians and read about a man who had great joy because he loved the church so much that he had to sit down and write a letter telling them how much joy they brought to his heart. Fourth of all, God's Word gives light to the eyes. It expresses the joy of being alive and of receiving God's blessings. Listen, God gave the Son for light in creation, and He has given His Word for light in redemption. The way we treat our Bible is the way we treat the Lord. So it isn't difficult to determine if we are rightly related to God. Do we desire His Word because it is precious to us, even more than wealth or tasty food? Do we desire God's Word more than we would even wealth 
or a good meal. A couple last uh, week before last, I spent a couple of nights in the hospital. I received wonderful round-the-clock care. It was great. But there is this thing that's hospital food. And a hospital breakfast leaves a lot to be desired. I hope there's nobody cooks in the hospital here. A hospital breakfast leaves a lot to be desired. I had some scrambled eggs that had never been around a chicken. There was a bowl of something. I have yet to determine if it was grits or gravy. But I didn't take but one bite. And as I lay there in that hospital bed, I began to have visions. Your preacher had visions of a double cheeseburger with grilled onions and bacon. I began to have visions about it till I began to talk about it. I began to, I began to drop hints to Bree. She didn't move. Because they were bringing her chocolate ice cream left and right. She was happy. But all I could think about was this double, che- double stack cheeseburger with grilled onions and bacon and lettuce and tomato. I would dream about it when I would, when I would drift off to sleep there. So when they gave me my discharge papers, when I signed my name, we were headed to get a double cheeseburger. We stopped first and got a bucket of chicken at Publix. But then we went and we stopped at Steak and Shake and I got it. And we, didn't, we, we stopped right there in the parking lot. We didn't move. We stayed right there in the parking lot. And we gave thanks for that double cheeseburger. And it was one of the most wonderful meals that I've ever had. I flung a craving on some of y'all right now. Is there a point in time in your life where you hunger and thirst for God's Word that way? There are times when I pick up God's Word and I begin to read and I, and I have a stopping point. I have my daily four chapters that I'm going to read, but I can't stop. I just can't stop. I can't put it down because it satisfies my soul like nothing else in this world. It satisfies my soul more than any meal, or more than any money, or anything else could. It's God's Word. And I, I pray that you are praying that God's Word would be, that, would be that important to you. That it would be the one thing that can satisfy. There's, there's a hunger for joy in your life. There's a hunger for peace. There's a hunger for tranquility. There's a hunger for wisdom in your life. It is right there in front of you in God's Word. Everything you need for those situations is right there in front of you every single day. God has revealed Himself in nature in a general way that the whole world can understand, but God has revealed Himself in special revelation through the Scriptures in a way that will speak to your heart individually among Seven and a half billion people on this earth. 
God's Word will speak to you succinctly for your situation at that moment. What a wonderful, awesome, and powerful God who can do that. Someday, at the end of this life, as you, as you are there with your last moments, it won't be, if you are a Christian, it won't be, did I make enough money? Did I work hard enough? Was the two things that I believe that will be foremost on my mind will be, did I pray enough and did I spend enough time in God's Word? Don't get to that point and have to say, no, I didn't. Because it's available to you. It's right there for you. David didn't have everything that you have, and yet he was in all and amazement of God. You have the full canon of Scripture this morning. You have more than King David had. You have more available to you. You have more opportunity. You have more at your disposal than the man that the Scriptures say was a man after God's own heart. Why would you not take advantage of it every day? We would, would we, do we find satisfaction feeding on God's Word? Would we skip a meal to spend time meditating on Scriptures? Do we attend church dinners but not church Bible studies? Do we accept the warnings of the Word and act upon them? To know the warning and not heed it as sin, as James 4.17 says, to know what is right and not to do it as sin. Do we enjoy the blessing of the Lord because we've obeyed His will? To have an appetite for God's Word is a mark of a healthy Christian whose priorities are straight. He has revealed Himself to us in His world, but He's revealed Himself even more clearly in His Word. There is a point in Scriptures where God brings it all together and tells us how He revealed both at the same time. John chapter 1 is a description of God being involved in creation, but also being involved in giving us great revelation so that we have no excuse before Him. It begins in verse number 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse number 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, so we have seen His glory, glory as of only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, God made sure here through the writings of John the Beloved that we understood that we can know God completely and without error through Jesus Christ who, was the, who is the Word. Jesus is called the Word here because everything that is written here from page 1 until page the last is written proclaiming the glory of Jesus Christ. All of the old canon is written telling us 
that He's coming. And the New Testament, the Gospels tell us about His life and His ministry, His death, burial, and resurrection. And the rest is giving us instruction on how to live for Him every day. You see, we can know God because He revealed Him when the Word became flesh in Jesus Christ, His Son. Jesus Christ who came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life here on this earth, went to a cross on a place called Calvary, and shed His blood and broke His body for your sins, and then three days later came out of a tomb resurrected with the power of God, and who now sits at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us every day, and who is speaking to hearts this morning all across the world through His creation, but also in church services, saying, you need to follow Me. We are without excuse. No one in the world is without excuse. But here is the saddest part. There will be people who someday stand before God in judgment, who saw His creation, who saw His great creation and ignored it. And they will be parted with God for eternity. But what's more sad is that there will be people who had God's Word and who heard God's preaching and who turned their back and said no. This morning, you are without excuse to know God. The question was, can I know God? The answer is, you are without excuse in knowing God. So this morning, the question is this. Will you follow? Will you seek God? Through His Son, Jesus Christ, who gave His life for you. This morning, God the Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts here in our congregation. And He's saying to those people, He's talking to you, and He's pointing you to Jesus. And He wants you to know that you can know God this morning. God went to great lengths. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's up to you at this point. I'm here this morning. I'll ask Seth and Donna to be here also. I'll ask them to bring their Scriptures and I'll ask them to be prepared. If someone comes this morning and says, I need to know, I want to know God, I need to know Him through Jesus. I'll ask you to come this morning and let us share that with you and let you know that you can leave here this morning without a shadow of a doubt knowing that God you will be with Him for eternity in heaven. You're without excuse because you've been told. You can see it in creation. You can, you've heard it from His Word this morning. Would you stand as we pray? Father, we beg You this morning, dear God, to speak and be merciful to hearts. We pray this morning, dear God, that You would reach and that You would speak to those who need to know Jesus and that they would be obedient this morning and come 
and surrender their life to Him. And know that through all eternity, they're blessed to be your child. Father, please come this way. Take every hindrance away. I pray that every Christian in this room is praying for the souls of others. We ask it in His precious name. Amen.